0: Hello and welcome to Living a Culture of Life podcast by Human Life International. I'm your host, Colleen, and I'm joined today by Dr. Michael New. And today we're going to be talking about um, the FDA's new approval of Opel and then why the data shows that contraception doesn't actually decrease abortion rates. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I believe that when the FDA approved Opel, they said that it would decrease unwanted pregnancies. Is that what Mm -hmm. you originally began writing about this issue in response to?
1: Uh, yes, that uh, you know, there's lots of concerns about Opi. I mean, there's some health consequences that you know, women with breast cancer, women with liver disease shouldn't take it. Uh, additionally, it can cause side effects like cysts and uh, abnormal bleeding and depression, which is an issue among young women. But my main concern really is that it's just not going to uh, deliver. Uh, that it's actually not going to reduce either I-10 pregnancies or abortion. And what the data does show uh, from a lot of studies in a lot of different countries, is that just expanding access to contraception has always been a poor strategy for reducing either unintended pregnancies or abortion. I think it's either gonna be ineffective at best or counterproductive at worst.
0: Yeah. and I mean, that's something that we've talked about in theory on the show before. We've talked about the like idea that when you think about where what leads to abortion, it's this contraceptive mindset. And we have a whole ebook on the subject. You mentioned that there's some studies in different countries about that. Can you just talk a little bit about what those specific studies show?
1: I'll be sure there's a lot of research I could talk about. I mean, the most important talking point I have is that plain, pure, and simple, contraception has a failure rate. Uh, Guttmacher, uh, which up until 2006, 2007, was Planned Parents' research arm, they are very pro-contraception. But even their research shows that you know half the women seeking abortions uh, were using some kind of contraceptive uh, the month they conceived. So there is a failure rate. And this opal, uh, which was just approved by the FDA, has a failure rate. Uh, it's actually, you know, has a higher failure rate than, you know, hormonal contraceptives that have be, you know, approved or prescribed, you know, by physicians. And what it's makes even worse is that, you know, the failure rate goes up when it's not properly used. And I think that OPIL will be used by a lot of teenagers, a lot of young women who want to either conceal their pregnancy or their, or I should say, want to conceal their sexual activity, you know, from their parents or from medical professionals, and they won't use it every day. So we really see failure rates go up quite a lot, uh, you know, when contraceptives aren't used properly, and when you multiply that among you know more sexually active women, you know, engaging in more sexual activity, you know, you're going to see again more out of 10 pregnancies, more abortions. So my one talking point, you know, is contraception has a substantial failure rate. Uh, another talking point that I think is important is that there's not some like massive contraception access problem in this country. Uh, Guttmacher again back I guess around uh, 2002 did a study of about 10,000 women who had abortions. And they asked women who weren't contracepting, you know, why, you know, why did you use a contraceptive? Only 12% cited either cost or availability. Uh, most of the women who weren't using contraception just said they wanted to show trust in a partner. They didn't think they'd get pregnant. They were risk of getting pregnant, but cost or availability, you know, was not a factor. You know, cost or availability was a factor in a relatively small percentage of, of instances. Again, 2012, the CDC did a study. They looked at 5,000 teenage girls who gave birth. Again, they asked those girls why weren't using a contraceptive. Again, a small percentage say cost or availability. So most women who want to obtain contraceptives or use contraceptives can get them. Very few women who aren't using them say either cost or availability as the reason why.
0: Very few people say that. Okay. And what makes Opel different than the other birth control pills that are out there? Is there anything? Well, what
1: makes Opal different is it can be acquired over the counter. For most forms of hormonal contraceptive, a woman needs a prescription from a doctor, and that's good public health. I mean, um, you know, there are some women who should not be taking contraceptives for health reasons. You know, women with breast cancer, women with liver disease, and a health professional, you know, will be able to advise them, you know, properly on that. Uh, with Opal, you know, it's just going to be available over the counter. It can be bought in supermarkets in eating stores even, in pharmacies. So again, it's going to make it more available, I think, especially to teenagers, to young women who are trying to conceal their sexual activity from either their parents or healthcare professionals. And again, I think there's a good chance that they won't be aware of the side effects, uh, that they won't use consistently. Uh, it'll encourage or enable sexual activity. And again, the end result will probably be more unintended uh, pregnancies and more abortions.
0: Okay. And then you wrote an article about this for the Washington Exam, or National Review. And then someone in the Mm -hmm. Washington Examiner, I believe her name was Tiana Dosher, picked it up and wrote in response to you. And so she was critiquing the data that you were um, citing in your article. And I believe it seemed like her main talking point seemed to be that the studies about contraception also include things like condoms that have very, like, high failure rates. Can Mm -hmm. you just talk a little bit about what she was actually critiquing and if, or, like, if it's actually, like, if it actually does contradict what the original article said, or if her data was not being used, like, in a looked at in a proper way.
1: Well, you know, I appreciate, you know, her diplomatic tone and their willingness to engage some studies of mine. She made some different points that I don't think were really well documented. I mean, uh, one thing, I'm not sure if she brought this up, is that people claim that more contraceptive use has gotten the abortion rate down. That's really not the case. You know, we've seen more contraception use in this country since the early 80s, but untended pregnancy rates have fluctuated. What has gotten abortion numbers down is that a higher percentage of unintended pregnancies are, in fact, carried to term. Uh, that's I think because of the good work of pro-life, in terms of our you know, education efforts, our service efforts, our legislative efforts. And that's why the U.S. abortion rates fallen by more than fifty percent since 1980. Uh, Dozier also claims that you know even though there are women who you know, may not cite cost or availability, cost or availability is the main reason. Um, you know, cost or availability might be a reason. You know, they aren't using contraception. But I think that you know, she doesn't really look at the data the right way. Uh, this Guttmacher study allowed people to cite multiple reasons why they weren't using contraception. And I think she tallies up these reasons or the percentages. It comes up with a very high figure. But she shouldn't tally them up because, again, people could cite multiple reasons why they weren't using contraception. So I think that was a mistake on her end. And she also talks about, you know, failure rates. And, and again, when used properly, you know, Opil would have a pretty low failure rate. But again, you have to look at who's gonna be using Opil. And I think O-Pill is gonna be attractive to teenagers, you know, young women, again, trying to conceal sexual activity from either their parents or from healthcare professionals. We just know for a fact that young people are just not as diligent about using contraception, you know, as their older counterparts. I mean, O pill has to be taken every day at about the same time. You know, people are human, they make mistakes. I would say teenagers probably make mistakes more than women who are a little bit older. So again, if you have teenagers you're know, using this, but they aren't taking the proper dose every day and they're sexually active, You know that failure rate goes up. It goes up a lot. And as I said, I think that's going to result, again, sadly, more on pregnancies and, and more abortions.
0: So basically, would you say that the data shows that as women use contraception, they're more likely to engage in sexual activity, which is going to drive up the abortion rate? Is that a pretty good summary of what the data shows about this?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even you know Guttmacher's data from the uh, you know the nineteen sixties shows when oral contraceptives became available, um, you know, again teenagers were more likely to engage in sexual activity as a result. And you know, the availability of oral contraceptives have had you know negative impacts kind of elsewhere. I mean, I think that for instance, prior to the early nineteen sixties, um, you know, men faced a lot more social pressure to marry women they impregnated. You know, in the nineteen fifties, if you were a guy and you got women woman pregnant. You know, you married her. If you walked away from a woman you impregnated, you know, you were allowed. You know, nobody would have anything to do with you. Uh, after the advent of oral contraception, you know, that changed. You know, It became a lot more easier for men to simply walk away from women they impregnated. And, you know, the end result, sadly, was in some cases more abortions and in some cases, you know, more women having to raise children without the benefit of a father, of a father in that child's life.
0: Why so, and, man, you know, other... Oh, sorry. Why would that, the advent of contraception lead to... To men being able to walk away, because it seems like if a woman gets pregnant, no matter like even if she's been using contraception, she's still pregnant. And why would that change that situation?
1: Well, it just changed the dynamic because essentially, you know, men view uh, avoiding pregnancy as responsibility of the woman. You know, the woman has to obtain the oral contraceptive. The woman has to take the oral contraceptive, and you know, essentially, that it becomes all of a sudden you know, the woman's responsibility to avoid the pregnancy. So, you know, men have this mindset that, you know, they can simply engage in sexual activity without consequence. And when there are consequences, namely a pregnancy, they don't feel it's really their responsibility. So when contraception becomes kind of a woman's responsibility to both acquire and take birth controls you know, consistently and a pregnancy happens, either because of incorrect use or just because of the failure rate, again, it's just much easier for men to effectively blame that on the woman and walk away.
0: Interesting. I never actually thought of it from that perspective before. Like I've like, obviously I've thought about how contraception leads to more abortions because of you're instilling this idea that you should be avoiding children when you have sex. But I've never actually thought about how it's going to put the burden of, I mean, burden in quotes, I guess, of not having a child on the woman instead of on both of the partners, like only having sex, obviously, if they're married or like in the context of wanting to have children. So that's an mm-hmm. interesting uh observation of how it would affect it. Um, you also brought up emergency contraception in your article. Can you speak to why studies on emergency contraception are relevant in a discussion of um, the OPAL and how like, increased access to emergency contraception doesn't actually, again, decrease uh, surgical abortion rates? Because obviously emergency contraception and most hormonal contraception is an abortive patient. But like yeah. that aspect aside, why it um, lead, doesn't decrease surgical abortion rates?
1: Yes, yeah, sure. I mean, emergency contraception is, is relatively new, and you know we've been able to run you know controlled studies of places where it's available. Uh, There've been twenty three studies uh, between nineteen ninety eight two thousand six, and they all show that greater access to emergency contraception does not reduce pregnancy rates, unintended pregnancy rates, or abortion rates. There've been specific studies looking at places like Shanghai. San Francisco, Scotland, uh, where it was made available or it was subsidized in certain ways. And again, the research is pretty clear that, you know, making emergency contraception more available just doesn't reduce either unintended pregnancy rates you know, or abortion rates. And again, it's kind of the same dynamic in play. I think it does encourage sexual activity. Uh, I think it results in more kind of overall pregnancies. I think it does make it easier for you know men to walk away from the women they impregnate. And again, the end result is higher rates of untended pregnancy and, and more abortions.
0: Okay. And then I had a question that I think you basically answered already. But in your article, you had mentioned that contraception use has increased since 1980, but the abortion rate has decreased since 1980. And you were saying that, that the reason that the abortion rate has decreased is because of increased pro-life efforts, yeah. not because of the increased contraception use. Those would seem to contradict each other. So, But the question that you were addressing was the unwanted pregnancies. So there must be different data that they track that shows... That that has fluctuated. The unwanted pregnancies has fluctuated even as contraception use goes up, and the abortion rate goes down. Is that correct?
1: Right. I mean, Guttmacher does track unintended pregnancy rates. Okay. And uh, one thing we've seen is that they've fluctuated. You know, you've seen a very durable decline in the abortion rate since 1980 and 2017. I mean, a couple of hiccups, but it's basically been almost a downward linear trend. When it comes to unintended pregnancies, there's been fluctuation. We actually saw the unintended pregnancy rate increase between 2001 in 2008 according to Guttmacher data so you've not seen a consistent durable decline in the N10 pregnancy rate even though contraception use has increased and it's increased among kind of different kinds of contraceptives whether it's the pill whether it's kind of injectables uh, there's been you know a lot of research showing that you know contraception use has gone up since the early 80s but you've not seen you know a consistent durable decline in the un10 pregnancy rate one thing you have seen is an increase in the percentage of unintended pregnancies that are carried to term. You know, Guttmacher's released a couple of different data sets on this. I mean, roughly in the early 1990s, about half of all unintended pregnancies were aborted. Um, by the late 2010s, only a third of unintended pregnancies were aborted. So when women find themselves with unintended pregnancy, uh, they're a lot more likely to carry that pregnancy to term today than they were, say, 30 years ago. Uh, why is this? You know, we don't know for certain, but I think, you know, that's a lot of pro-life efforts. I think we've had made some success changing hearts and minds. We certainly have a lot more pregnancy help centers now than we did uh, 30 years ago. I mean, there's more pregnancy help centers open today than there are abortion facilities. You know, that's a positive trend. And since the early 90s, you know, we've passed more pro-life laws. There are more even prior to dogs. You know, we had more states with pro-life parental involvement laws. We had more states with waiting periods. We had more states with informed consent laws that gave women seeking abortions information about alternatives. So uh, for a variety of reasons, you know, women who do find themselves pregnant are more likely to carry those pregnancies to term. Uh, this played a big role of the 50% decline in the abortion rate we've had since 1980.
0: Okay, that makes sense. And then also in your article, you mentioned that there's numerous studies that show the negative effect that contraceptive use has on like families. Can you speak to that a little bit? Cause I found that interesting, but They didn't. That obviously wasn't like the main point of those articles, so it didn't really get fleshed out. So, can you speak to that a little bit?
1: Well, I just think that you know, contraception use, you know, has just had a lot of negative impacts on the family. You know, as such, I mean, right now we have, uh, you know, very high rates of unintended pregnancies. Or I wouldn't say we have higher rates. We I'd say high. I should say, you know, we see kind of increases in the number of single parent families. And I think that you know, contraception uh, has had a lot to do with that. You know, As I said before, I think it's made it you know, much easier for men to simply uh, you know, walk away from women they impregnate. I mean, there are many single mothers out there who do terrific work trying to raise children, uh, but there's a good body of research that shows that children do best when they're raised by their own biological mother and biological father. And I think the fact that you know, contraceptives are widely available uh, encourages a lot of sexual activity uh, before marriage and outside of marriage, And when pregnancies do happen, you know, men face less pressure to marry. Uh, It's easier for them to simply walk away uh, from when they impregnate. And the end result is, I just think, you know, weaker families.
0: Okay. That makes sense that it it comes, again, back to the man just having it, making it easier for him to just Mm -hmm. feel no responsibility for his actions. Mm -hmm. Um, And then have you, like, has anyone else been talking about this trend that's been going on? Because I know that you were writing about it. Have you seen any more research going on? Or is this basically, is the idea that contraception use doesn't, like, that contraception use increases abortion rates. Is that something that gets widely talked about, or is that something that most people just ignore? Because it seems like most Sadly, most, people, OPIL are more about the focus on women's health rather than the link to abortion.
1: Yeah, most people just unfortunately ignore this. You know, I'm kind of fighting a lonely battle here, trying to, you know, sound the alarm about pill. Uh, a lot of pro-life groups, you know, don't really talk much about contraception, you know, they just kind of take a, a neutral stance on it. Um, you know, I do appreciate the fact that Students for Life did have a strong statement against OPOP. I appreciate that Human Life International, you know, really is interested in trying to promote Catholic Church teachings on not only abortion, uh, but contraception as well. Uh, and groups like American Life League uh, have always taken a pretty strong stance against, you know, artificial forms of contraception. Uh, You know, the pro-life movement, I think, partly for political reasons, hasn't really spoken up much about this. So, you know, I've been kind of fighting, you know, something of a lonely battle here. I appreciate the fact I can appear on this podcast and that I've been on some other radio shows and I have access to my Twitter account and social media platforms. But I think it is something that we need to talk about. You know, I am glad that HLI has been fighting for this, you know, a long time. Uh, I think that uh, you know, for pro-lifers to win in the end, we need to create a culture that's a lot more chaste. And I think that you know, making contraceptives more available, especially to teenagers, you know, does not result in a more chaste culture. It results in a more promiscuous culture. And we know that when there's a promiscuous culture, there's going to be demand for abortion, and that's very tough for us. So I'm, I think we need to engage this issue. I don't we can duck from it or hide from it. You know, I encouraging my other pro-life friends to speak up more about it. Uh, but right now it's been kind of a, a lonely battle.
0: And what do you see going forward? What do you think, how do you think Opel is going to affect the like culture that we're dealing with going forward? Because obviously, like you said, contraception is already pretty widely available to people. Do you think this is actually going to make things worse? Or do you think that things are going to remain the same?
1: Yeah, even though it's widely available, I mean, I do think that you know, for teenagers, maybe reluctant to go to a medical professional or, you know, consult with their parents about it. So I do think that it may encourage contraceptive use among teenagers, and it may sadly encourage sexual activity among teenagers. You know, we'll have to kind of wait till the data comes out. Uh, I think from what I understand, OPA will be available in supermarkets and pharmacies around 2024. So we'll have to take a look at the data. I mean, one kind of very quiet success story we've had that gets little attention is we've gotten teen pregnancy rates down a lot, and we've, teen sexual activity has also declined a lot. It peaked in the early 90s, But data from uh, Youth Risk Behavior Survey and National Survey of Family Growth both show that, you know, teenagers today are less likely to engage in sexual activity than their counterparts were 30 years ago. And we really don't know why this is. Um, You know, I think uh, teenagers may be a bit more risk-averse because of social media platforms. Um, You know, it may be uh, that, you know, teenagers just don't see themselves as, you know, marrying in the near future and don't get get involved in relationships. They see marriage as something that's pretty far in the future. Uh, Maybe internet pornography, you know, that may be playing a role as well. Uh, Again, we're not really sure, but we do have, you know, good data from multiple surveys showing substantial declines in teen sexual activity. That may reverse with OPAL. I mean, we'll have data coming out obviously on teen pregnancies, teen abortions, you know, groups like, again, Youth Risk behavior survey, and now survey family growth will be asking teens about their sexual activity. So I think we'll have some good data, you know, and, uh, hopefully we'll be on this podcast in a few years to talk about it. I hope I'm wrong in a way. You know, I hope that teens don't engage in sexual activity. I hope that teen abortion rates do continue to fall. Uh, but if that trend reverses itself, I, I will not be surprised.
0: Okay. I have a question that's like slightly it's, it's on topic, but it doesn't have to do as much with the contraception issue. When you said that, um, teen sexual activity was down. Is that based on data from teen pregnancies or could the influence of more like the gay, lesbian, LGBTQ movement, could it be that like there's more homosexual activity, but fewer pregnancies because more teens are identifying as like gay or lesbian? Like, could that be one of the reasons that teen pregnancies are down or is it just teen sexual activity across the board no matter what?
1: Well, it's everything. First, is teen abortions, is teen pregnancies, and the data we have on teen sexual teen sexual activity comes from surveys. Now, you know, teenagers may not be inclined to answer honestly. People often, you know, are understandably reluctant to, you know, discuss or, you know, you know, they got discuss, but you know, answer survey questions honestly when it comes to personal matters like sex and sexual activity. So we're only kind of going on what's on surveys. You know, could it be that teenagers are you know more likely to engage in same sex sexual activity? Sure, that might be a role. I think there's many things kind of going on at the same time. You know, again, it may be that teenagers are kind of more risk averse due to social media platforms. It may be that you know they're able to access pornography more easily through the internet. Uh, it could be that they're just less likely involved in relationships now than they were 30 years ago. Uh, I think there's a lot of things at play. I don't think there's any one factor we've identified as the reason why teen sexual activity has has declined.
0: Okay, interesting. Yeah, I just was. I've noticed that there's been an increase among of that among the youth. So I wasn't sure if that was playing into the data at all. So that's interesting. It's interesting if they track all three of those abortions, Mm pregnancy, and sexual activity. So is there anything else you'd like to share with our viewers today on this subject or anything kind of related to it?
1: You know, I think, again, there's just good research showing that contraceptive use and abortion rates often increase in tandem. We've seen that in the United States. Uh, Guttmacher did a study in 2003, showed that happened in Cuba. Denmark, Netherlands, Singapore, South Korea. You know, again, I just think once you have kind of a conscious mindset or that sex is kind of for recreation, not procreation, it tends to result in more unintended pregnancies, uh, more abortions. You know, I think OPIL is going to do a lot more harm than good. I think it is going to encourage a lot more teen sexual activity, or at least enable teen sexual activity. And I think you're going to sadly end up with, with more uh, more unintended pregnancies and more abortions. Um, you know, I hope and pray that I'm wrong, uh, but I think that's a kind of the likely outcome here.
0: Okay yeah, that's unfortunate, but at least people like you are talking about it and hopefully raising awareness. So hopefully we can kind of push back against the uh, use of contraception in our culture. So thank you so much for writing about this and talking about it and coming on the podcast to talk about it today.
1: Oh, thanks, Debbie. Much appreciated. And also, if any of your viewers or listeners just want to stay in touch with me, uh, my Twitter handle is at Michael underscore J underscore new that's at Michael underscore J underscore new. Also, you know, on Facebook, you can reach out and friend me. Whenever I write something, I usually put it on Twitter. Sometimes I post on my Facebook page. That's just a good way to keep up with my writing and research.
0: Awesome. And I can link that in the bio as well. So people can find it that way. So, and to our viewers also, I mentioned ebook at the beginning of this, I'll link that in the um, end screen in the description as well. So that if you're interested in more, um, learning more about this topic, you can download that. Um, Thank you for joining us today. To all of our listeners, please like, follow, and subscribe, share with your friends, and keep on living the culture of life. God bless.